Oh, hello there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist and professor and business owner, etc., 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 in the Chicagoland area. Thank you so much for joining us today. So, I want to again revisit. I am sending an invitation for you to join me as a patron on Patreon. You can find me at www.patreon.com slash wounded healer. And that's healer H-E-A-L-R because E-R was taken on Twitter. And then I have to like do this thing over all the platforms. It's kind of annoying. Just trust me. Just go with it. So if you are interested in financially contributing to the podcast, I would so appreciate it. You can also do reviews. So if you go to Apple Podcast and you want to like add stars, that's awesome. But if you want to write something, that's even awesomer. And you can say, Sarah has cool tattoos, even though you can't see me. So I guess you probably don't care about that. But you can say whatever the hell you want. If you make me laugh... If you make me laugh, I will read yours on a podcast upcoming. That is my favorite thing in the world is if people write something like sarcastic or stupid or whatever. If you make me laugh, you will get read online aloud. So please, if you are so inclined, I would appreciate your help. Now on to our interesting guest. So Jen Doparella has been a healer since 2008 and is the creator of Tidal Heart Healing. Through her work, she helps people let go of limiting beliefs and energetic blocks. This helps them move physically, emotionally, and spiritually with freedom and ease in their lives while learning to love themselves just as they are. She's also a meditation instructor and former teacher with a master's in education. She has a depth of experience in creating an open space of compassion and listening. You can find her at www.tidalhearthealing.com. So, Jen... Let me tell you. So Jen and I were fast Instagram friends, as is the story for many of my podcast guests. And she had offered me a healing session before we recorded this and scheduling just didn't work. We weren't able to do it. And she's like, I just really want you to understand what my work is. And so we did the recording. As you'll hear, she and I are totally in sync. And I was like, I've got to get this free healing session, y'all. It was a very generous offer. So we did it and I still can't even really describe. She's just a healer. She is gifted beyond words. And as she was doing everything, I just kept thinking, I want you to be my teacher. I want you to be my teacher. And so we haven't worked it out yet because there's a lot of life happening, but I'm really interested in her being my teacher, you guys. She's going to listen to this and be like, oh my God, Sarah, now I have to do it. You're pressuring me. (laughs) I'm such a jerk. This is how I do it. Anyway, she is amazing. So if you resonate with anything that she's saying on this podcast, it's, it's hard to describe her healing methodology, but it's a lot of muscle testing and intuition. She knew shit that I didn't have to tell her. And I don't know. I, I don't, it's amazing. There's really not a lot to say except that it's amazing. And if you're interested in doing a deeper dive into your healing work, Jen is an amazing person to reach out to. So please enjoy my interview with Jen Doparella. Hello, Jen. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I am excited to get to know more about you and have listeners fall in love with you. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so why don't we start off with you telling folks who you are and what you do? 
Yeah. So my name is Jennifer Dipperella. I do call myself a healer. And basically what I do, I think there's a lot of different ways to describe what I do, none of which are quite adequate. But what I do is really connect up directly with spirit, creator, universe, whatever word you want to use, that bigger energy. And then from that place, really drop in and see and hear what's happening energetically with someone. Mm -hmm. So really looking at whatever obstacles might be in place to prevent them from really experiencing a sense of freedom and liberation in their life. Mm -hmm. So it can really run the gamut. I can really go anywhere with the work. A lot of times it's working with limiting beliefs that we have mm-hmm. on the DNA. Those are inherited through <laughs> generations of ancestors. And that's when we talk about things like unconscious bias and things like that. That's where we would find things like that. You know, it also sometimes and I end up working with past life stuff. And mm. I was literally just having a conversation about that with a friend of mine. But go on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. The past life stuff, sometimes it can actually become more of a distraction than a help. And sometimes mm. we use that as an alibi rather than um, really using it towards our own empowerment. But it does definitely come up and it does definitely influence how we are and how we move through the world. Sometimes it's working with people who have passed over and having conversations with them. It it really can go anywhere. And I think a lot of times for many, many years, it was really focusing more on the trauma side of things, really. And I still do. And really looking at things that have happened and working on ways to clear those. Lately, what's been happening, which is kind of exciting, is that it's starting to turn more towards our aliveness and actually Mm. starting to grow that sense of aliveness and wildness in our own being. So that's a very brief. Yeah. In a a nutshell, I think that any healing in terms of like energy work, no two sessions are ever alike. Right. And so it's really hard to be like, okay, this is what I do. And the elevator speeches, like I can't even imagine (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> I'm imagining you at a like at a at a marketing thing where people are trying to get you to do your elevator speech and you're like, no, fuck you guys. Like it's this isn't gonna work. <laughs> Usually when I go, um, I teach meditation. <laughs> oh, don't sell out. <laughs> no, no. I really just play to my crowd, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I definitely own what I do, but there are times when I know like, oh, you know, I think this might just be easier to say, oh, I teach meditation. Mm-hmm. So I'm super duper curious. I love hearing the story of how people who do this type of work, how you come to it. So wherever it makes sense to start, but I'm guessing that there's probably stuff in childhood that started leading you in this direction. So go wild wherever you want to go. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because I don't consider myself, I was never somebody who saw things as a kid. Mm. When we think of psychic, we think of clairvoyant, but there's actually all these different clairs yes. to receive information. And my strength is claircognizance. So I receive yes, me too. the information at once. Just the knowing, right? Exactly. Yes. And so I always, like as a kid, I grew up Catholic and I actually really loved going to church mm-hmm. up until about my first communion, <laughs> up until about like seven. Wow. I really loved the space of it. I always felt a sense of God. 
And Mm. then for a long time, partly through trauma in my life, I lost my mom when I was 14. Mm. There was a lot of actually turning away from religion and turning away from God and kind of considering Mm -hmm. a dirty word. And I still, there's so much connotation with that word that I often use the word spirit or creator instead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in my mid-20s, I had a breast cancer scare, which is what my mother passed away. Oh, wow. I wasn't getting any answers through Western medicine. They were kind of like, well, we don't really know. (laughs) I was really frustrated. And so I started opening up to more alternative ways. And Mm. that really led me into meditation. Uh, I started working at an ashram. I really just kind of dove into being a student. And then (laughs) (laughs) my son was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine months old. And I went to see this woman who was a friend of a friend's and she just like worked out of her home and her name's Bobby Holyoke. And I went to a session and my friend was like, it's just a thing. Just go do the thing. I went to see her and I was shaking on my way there. Mm. I was like, okay, I don't quite know what's coming, but something's coming. And we went and I sat down and, you know, Bobby was like, well, I can't find my normal paperwork. All I can find is how to teach someone how to do it. You must need to learn how to do this. Wow. You know, I was just like half rolling my eyes, like, oh, please. Like I go to do things like this. I am not the person. Wow. And, you know, from her perspective, she said spirit was kind of shaking her going, you have to teach her this thing. (laughs) But she was playing it really cool, knowing that I was very reluctant. So that was kind of how it started. And then I called her for a session a few months later and she was like, well, this is a trade. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't know how to do this. She's like, well, let's muscle test for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that was kind of how it started. But honestly, it's taken me a long time. It's been roughly 11 years. Mm -hmm. It's been step by step allowing myself to be seen as a healer for various reasons. I call myself a recovering good girl. There's a lot of like wanting to have all of the information before I can call myself something so that I am perfect or I do it right. Mm -hmm. Oof, you are preaching to the choir there. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So anyway, that's how I stumbled into it. And it's been a really amazing journey. To me, it felt like it chose me rather than me really choosing it. That's exactly what I was. I was like, this is a calling. You just didn't hear the call until 2008. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think for me, I'm so much more comfortable being a student than Mm -hmm. being on the other side of things. So it's so perfect because it's really pushing me or has pushed me to stretch myself in that way and really let myself be seen in all of my glory and imperfections. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a sense of where that perfectionism really came from? Because we can just trade stories about that all fucking day. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I would start with the cultural piece. Mm-hmm. As a woman, I think that there's a lot of overlay of, gosh, <laughs> of just being perfect. Yeah. So many different reasons. I mean, you see it in the workplace of women not getting paid as much and Mm -hmm. needing to work so much harder. Like there's all of that stuff. You know, my mother was definitely had her own version of perfectionism. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the beautiful things I got to witness with her is as she got sick 
and as she was dying was watching her let go of the perfectly clean house and let go mm. of how other people perceived her and just trying to be more present and live. That is the opposite experience of what my mom did when she died of breast cancer. Oh. Just just clinging to that, like, I still have to do everything. And, oh, that's hard to watch. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think where it comes from, I don't totally know, but I know that I don't like to fuck up. Right. And I don't like people to see me to fuck up. And mm -hmm. there's definitely, whether it's astrological or bigger than that, mm -hmm. there's definitely a desire for approval and wanting people to like me. And that's been a big journey. And I still find myself, those little nooks and crannies that I haven't quite seen or worked with still shows up. I think it's going to be like for all of us, it's a lifelong thing. What I'm recognizing is even though I've done a lot of healing, the parts of me that I wish to change, it's always going to be my knee jerk reaction when I'm in stress. Yeah. And healing is essentially how quickly do I recognize it? And do I have the capacity to choose to work with that information differently or just do the same behavior that I've always done? Exactly. Yeah, that's really beautiful. For me, I think doing a lot of the healing work specifically around the limiting beliefs has been so helpful, but also one of the beautiful things about this healing work that sometimes still surprises me, honestly, is that because I'm connecting directly in the spirit, I'm able to hold a space of non-judgment and unconditional love. Mm. And I don't consider it from me, like I still have my judgments, but when I'm in that space, it is truly non-judgmental. I have heard a lot, as I'm sure you have as well as a therapist, yeah. and, you know, a lot of things. And it's a really beautiful and powerful thing to be validated and witnessed. Sometimes I think just that is a huge piece of the healing process. And the more that I can feel and receive that non-judgment, the more than I can be that for myself. Yes, that's exactly what it's so funny. Like clearly the claircognizance is working right now because yeah. even before you say it, I was thinking like, oh, yes, this parallel process healing thing. So <laughs> we're vibing. We are vibing. Yeah. I see you. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And you've already talked about you're a healer. So it sounds like you've really embraced that word. What are the things, well, I guess maybe instead of asking a question, maybe I'll give you the reflection that I'm kind of like sensing about you and then you can tell me if it fits or doesn't. But it sounds like one of the things for you is, I guess, the concern of being seen and really putting yourself out in the world because what if somebody sees me as imperfect? What if somebody takes what I'm saying the wrong way? And is that the only barrier to calling yourself a healer or was there something else in there? Was that the barrier? Did I get it or is that not on track? No, I think that that was definitely a big piece of it. There's a lot to be said. I mean, my experience, especially in working with people who call themselves healers, particularly those who are in the more psychic realm, is that, I mean, it sounds a little bit cheesy, but it's what I have experienced is that there's usually some past life stuff in there where mm. that was not safe. Right. <laughs> and so that was definitely true for me. And the journeys that I have been on have seen experiences where I got a little cocky as mm. a healer in a past life. And mm, 
Do you have any like stories about that? Like you want to hear a specific past life? Yes. Are you kidding me? If you have one. I mean, you you had one, but if you have a story, yeah, bring it. Sure. I mean, I'll give you kind of the brief outline, but sure. what I experienced or what I have seen the past life to be, the story to be is I believe that it was probably Africa. That's the sense that I always had from it, mm-hmm. which I hesitate to say because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people right. right now being like, especially with all that's being called out with racism, there's yeah. a lot right now happening with like, well, I had a past life where I was black. So therefore, mm-hmm. I just <laughs> put that little caveat in there. Right, I'm right. Gonna, I'm just going to say it anyway. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this just happens to be where it took place. I'm not claiming. Right. I hear that. I hear that. I'm fairly certain that I was also male in that past life and that mm. I was very good and pretty cocky about it and had an experience where I was actually able to bring somebody back briefly so that a family could say their goodbyes, but then ended mm. up being blamed for the death of it. And wow. again, there was a lot of ego with that. And it's one of the reasons for good reason why I still work with the imposter syndrome. Because mm-hmm. I think I put some things in place and really wanted to make sure to check myself in this lifetime that I didn't go to the cocky side of things. That being said, I think then my work this time is more in the realm of really believing in myself. Balance that karma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, but that's a, the biggest one that I would say that I really felt. Yeah, it was pretty powerful to clear that. That's incredible. Yeah. That's at least part of the reason why it was scary to be called a healer. I think it's also, you know, it's a big responsibility to hold someone else in that space. And they're looking to you a lot of times. One of the things that I really work with is really empowering people because people really come and they come because they want to be fixed. Yes. Part of my work is like, ah, this is not about fixing you. Like you are incredible. You are beautiful. You are good just the way you are mm-hmm. and really with that and accepting that is how then change can come out of that. Right. It's such a, an ironic truth, but so true. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So really holding them in that space. And then also, you know, there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with holding them in that space and really Mm -hmm. caring for them on their journey and really helping them take responsibility for their own journey. And, you know, it's one of the reasons like I don't let people come to me more than once a month, because for me, Mm. like to create a situation where people then can become dependent on me to give the answers. Yeah. And so really trying to continue to point the finger back to them. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, how can you find the answers for yourself? How can you really cultivate the sense of knowing for yourself? Yeah. I've just come to recognize because I'm I'm so into all the healing shit right now. I'm like into <laughs> astrology and the Enneagram and everything. And I'm like, I'm continuing to like dig in and try to find information. And the message that I keep getting is you have everything you need. Quit yeah. fucking wasting your time. Just go do it. <laughs> you know what you're here to do. This is your purpose here on this planet. Just fucking do it. And I'm like, but this is so fun. And I I wonder now that I'm saying it out loud, I wonder if that's like partially a defense mechanism because of the fear of really stepping into the fullness of my power. Right. 
it's scary. And, you know, I mean, it's scary for so many reasons, not the least of which is that feeling of being alone, mm-hmm. being from that sense of belonging, which for me anyway, I've always felt slightly on the outside. And I mean, I have in my life and then I've needed to walk away from them, which is probably some of the most painful experiences is needing to walk away from that sense of belonging. Mm. Do you know your Enneagram number? That's the one that's one through nine. Yeah. So I think I'm either a two or a nine. I can't remember. I was going to say two. Okay. Yeah. I would guess two wing one because two is the helper and then one is the perfectionist. So that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. I've started to get really good at guessing. Yeah. Yeah. I never got too far down the Enneagram rabbit hole, but yeah, I mean, I really hear what you're saying too about like those kinds of things can be so fun and they can be validating and they yes. can yes. learn how to move forward. They can also be incredibly distracting mm-hmm. <laughs> and really like actually moving us away from that sense of spiritual growth. Yeah. And it almost, you know, in some ways, I'm thinking it could be almost like compulsive spiritual behavior. I'm not going to say spiritual addiction because I don't think it's at that level for me, but like it's compulsive that my desire to learn and know, like, I just have this fucking insatiable hunger to know myself and to know the world around me and not necessarily to like figure it out per se, but I mean, part of it is that, but I think a lot of it is just, I can't stop because I just need all of the knowledge. No, I can really, really, really relate. And it can be so fun and playful and this wonderful part of the journey where as we're learning these things. And then of course, like we get all of the people that are also learning those things. But at a certain point, it's like, we can't grasp it in any of it too tight. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of like, can we hold it lightly? Can we use it, right. but not define ourselves by it? Can we use it, but not grip on and create this new identity based on it? Right. And or make excuses. I think that's what you were alluding to earlier when you said, I can't remember the words you used, but we can like, well, that's just how I am. I'm I'm an Enneagram three. So I'm just the star. That's how I am. I don't have to think about anybody else. That's not fair. And that's not doing your work, too. It's absolutely true. And I think that's the tricky part, too, around this idea of accepting yourself. Yeah. Because it's like, well, this is just the way I am. So Mm-hmm. It's like, how do we keep looking with yep. that sort of acceptance? How do we keep the curious? And for me, the word curiosity is yes. what I use over and over again. Can we be curious about ourselves, not judgmental? And for me, I mean, this is a little bit of a side tangent. Bring it. I love tangents. You know, for me, like I didn't know that self-awareness and self-criticism were different. Wow. Like I thought, and I still remember. So I also studied Tibetan Buddhism for many, many years and was very deep into that for a long time. And I still teach meditation and do meditation. But I still remember the retreat that I was on. And I can't remember exactly what I said, but I still remember the confusion on the other person's face. And it was this moment Mm. of full awakening where I was like, oh my gosh, I can look at myself without criticism. (laughs) Like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah. 
anyway, that's a little bit of like the opposite of what I was saying before with the acceptance piece. But it's like, how do we keep looking? How do we stay engaged? How do we do it from a place of love? How do we do it from a place of like continuing to grow and continuing to do better and continuing to like just try and do up the human thing as best we can while we're here? Right. And for a perfectionist, that line of how do I do that without kind of like the people that you're saying who want to come to you more than once a month, I'm guessing part of that not only is they want you to tell them what to do, but also they want to get it done right. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. It's really true. It just becomes so aggressive, though, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like any healing journey when it comes from a place of not feeling great about yourself. And so I'm going to do all these things to try and fix myself. Yep. It just becomes so violent and aggressive towards yourself, which is what I did for a very long time. I always talk about, I did it with food quite a bit. So mm. at one point, like I was juicing and I was a raw foodist and I did all of this stuff and there was a right way to do it. Right. And at a certain point I had to throw all of it out and I had to get rid of my lists of what was good and what was bad and mm-hmm. really permission to just eat whatever I wanted to let go of some of that aggressiveness. It can still come up, but I've gotten much better at being soft with myself which is a blessing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a practice. I mean, one of the things that I often will talk about, and I just did two presentations this week that had a big focus on self-compassion. And have you heard of Kristen Neff? Yes, that's so funny. I was just thinking of her before the interview. We really are. Oh (laughs) my God, that's crazy. So yeah, so so you probably know how on her website you can test how self-compassionate you are, right? No, I haven't done that. Oh, Oh, it's great. And the cool thing for me that I always share with people is I first heard about her when I started Brene Brown's training in 2012. And so I took the test then and my results were it was like low two and it's from one to five. Mm -hmm. And so it was low two. So clearly I was super shit in the self-compassion department. And it took me several years. It wasn't until 2015 that I tested myself again. And this was after my parents' death and I started my business. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I really actually have to start the self-compassion journey. So then it went up to just under, it was like 3.96 or something like that. And then two years later, I tested again and it had gone down just a couple points. And then I tested myself this week and I was like a 4.5 or something. And I was like, holy shit, like this really fucking works. (laughs) And I can actually show people you have to practice on a regular basis because if you don't use it, you lose it. It's neural pathways that we build and we're already so wired for the negative. We really have to be doing something every single day just like a person in recovery has to think about being in recovery every day. Or if you have a health condition that requires daily something or other, like it's all part of the practice. And our culture, you know, like you were saying, all the pressure about women, but our culture too, telling us that you should just be happy. Like that's the default. And then everyone's fucking walking around wondering why they're goddamn miserable because we've been sold the wrong message and we have to rewire that. And that's one of the big reasons I do this podcast is to let people know, like we are all fucked up, even the best of us, you know, the most (laughs) successful of us. And if we don't get on board with that and share in that common humanity of our fucked up we're just going to continue to be isolated and kill ourselves literally and figuratively. 
Yeah. And this idea that fucked up is somehow bad or somehow wrong. Right, right. It's normal. (laughs) You know, it's like, actually, Mm -hmm. we're okay. Mm -hmm. Like, we're fucked up and we're okay. And it's amazing, like, the relaxation that can happen in the body when you just accept that. It can be really incredibly powerful. I love your story, too, about how it kept going back and forth because mm-hmm. it really is a practice and we really just need to stay engaged with it. And we can't just do it on the cushion. We have yes, to actually yes. bring the cushion and walk with it. And how am I going to react mm-hmm. in this situation? And how am I going to react in this situation? And, oh, you just fucked up. Mm-hmm. How are you going to talk to yourself about it? That was one of the things that I really loved about hers was that practice of moving from the reptilian brain that's like, oh, you Mm -hmm. fucked up. You're going to attack yourself for that because you need to attack a problem and you're the problem. So Mm -hmm. it's not the tiger. It's you. (laughs) And moving into the mammalian response where you really soothe yourself and you touch yourself and you say, it's okay. It's okay. And you use that touch as a way of loving yourself. And it's one of my most favorite and most used ways, actually, of Mm -hmm. myself in those moments and really being compassionate with myself on the fly. Yeah. And for me in particular, it took a long time for that to feel normal and to not feel like I was doing something stupid or cheesy. And now I'm at the point where that is my go-to when I'm suffering is like, I put my hands on my heart and say, oh, honey, I love you so much. This is so hard. Yep, exactly. One of actually my most favorite practices too that I very recently stumbled on and I'm kind of like, how did I not do this But I've never been someone who enjoys journaling. It's Mm. never felt quite right. And I've tried to write and then I just never, I've never been able to stay with it and it's never quite worked. But I recently, the other day, and I had a dear friend who is an astrologer who recommended me do this, a different version of this. But basically I sat down and started writing myself a letter. pages came out and I was you know and I started doing the thing of like oh I need to do it right I need to have a pen and a special journal and then (laughs) shut the fuck up and start typing Mm -hmm. and what was really helpful for me about it was that I was able to get out everything but I was also Mm -hmm. able to talk to myself as if I was my own client yes so powerful and it made me realize like oh You've got a lot of wisdom there, (laughs) Yeah. I actually had an experience with a client recently where I did something similar, but not on paper, but actually had them sit in different seats and talk to different parts of themselves from a different place. And it was this extraordinary transformation of the way that they viewed themselves in result of a trauma that they experienced. And I was even like, you know, like, I believe in the shit. I know the shit works. But my reaction was, holy fuck, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> but it's so yeah. powerful. And it reminds me, I don't know if you're familiar with internal family systems as a therapy modality. Just by name. Yeah, yeah. But that's basically what it is, is this recognition that there are certain parts of ourselves that show up at different periods of time and... Sometimes it's a defense mechanism and a defense mechanism is also a way to try to protect us from harm and recognizing like, thank you for showing up and trying to keep me safe. But this isn't the part that I really want to be handling this situation. So thank you. But let's take a back seat. 
Beautiful. Yeah, that's actually a practice that I use quite a bit. I just didn't know that it had a name. Isn't it funny? These organic things that we just either intuitively know or we're doing and then we find out later, like I have that experience all the time. I'll be like reading a book and like, oh, wait, I fucking do that already. Like, that's awesome. Okay, now I'll call it that. (laughs) Just give a framework for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's the thing, you know, when I hear that voice, that particular very harsh voice come in, it's usually saying something like, oh, thank you so much for showing me what it is that I'm trying to change. (laughs) Now I'm choosing this. What a powerful and beautiful thing. Well, I'm curious to your thoughts on the term wounded healer. Yeah, you know, my initial reaction is to flinch. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to think about how I was going to answer this question. And like, <laughs> what do your notes say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, like trying to get into like, well, what's the flinch about? Like, yeah. where is that from? And I think I actually really love the story of Chiron. And you know, I know it. Yes. Really beautiful in the way that like he really ascended. I think it's the wounded part. I keep wanting to go to the resilient part, you know, Mm -hmm, (laughs) which is it's mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. One of the most powerful explanations or definitions of a healer my friend Denmo gave me, I don't know, years ago was a healer is someone that's so committed to their own personal journey. They can't help but bring other people along. Oh, I'm stealing it. Yeah, it's really powerful and really beautiful. And I really relate with that. As you were talking about before, like I'm very, very not just committed, but so interested and curious about myself and why I do what I do and mm-hmm. like what's the learning and what's the resilience and what's the wisdom. And I like to say that there's, I, I'm actually trying to find another word. Maybe you can help me out with this. The way that I learned it in Buddhism is there's a wisdom and neurosis and everything. And I'm trying to find mm-hmm. a different neurosis yeah. for many reasons. Mm, yeah. Like how do I really access? So, okay. Yeah, maybe I am like my parent and I don't want to be like my parent, but is there a way that I can accept that and use the wisdom side of what's been passed down Mm -hmm. rather than continuing the pattern? So wounded healer, you know, I mean, all I can say is I absolutely have used what I have learned Mm -hmm. through my own experience, through my own trauma to help other people. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting to me the way that we relate to certain words depending on our history and depending how we're defining them. And like language is so incomplete. Oh my gosh. Right. And that's one of the gifts that I've learned from this podcast. Like you can say something and I can say the exact same thing and we can mean a multitude of different things. And it's funny that I find more often than not people who will accept the word healer often want to push away wounded healer and vice versa. If you want to push healer away, you're more likely to accept wounded healer. So it's endlessly fascinating. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You could start your own system your own like number system of like, well, you're a four if you answer it this way. (laughs) Oh my God, that's the way to do. Because I did think at one point like to study that in some way and try to do some research out of it. And that's that's probably the way to do it, right? There really are a finite amount of responses to these questions that I'm finding. But yeah, what does that say about people? What does that say about your journey? Like, and I bet I could like 
do the spreadsheet. Ooh, oh, the perfectionist in me is like a spreadsheet. Woo! Uh, <laughs> figuring out how do I organize this? Ooh, like where is where's my Virgo in my chart? I can't even remember, but. But she is just singing right now. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, you could have your own little, like, Kristen F's self-compassion. Yeah, it's a validated tool. Yeah. Mm, well, you're a genius. <laughs> I'm literally looking, where is my Virgo? What's your rising? My rising is Libra. Oh, me too. So that means Virgo is your 12th house. And what is the 12th? I don't even remember. It's the very last. Do you have the app CoStar? Yes. <laughs> oh, we can be friends on there. Totally. Yeah. So the 12th house, meaning you have difficulties with privacy, secrets, and introspection. Well, I have a problem because I'm too interested in introspection. I've heard of the 12th house being described as like your subconscious. And we operate about 94% from our subconscious. It's pretty, mm -hmm. it's pretty intense. I mean, that's why I do the work I do. It's why like, you mm -hmm. know, really working with those subconscious places. So I'm surprised a little bit, actually, although I have a secret love for spreadsheets too. So <laughs> amazing. Oh, Jen, this is lovely. Yeah, really lovely. Really lovely. Yeah. So where can people find you? All of the things about like what you're peddling, bring what you're peddling, tell the masses where they can find you and all of that. Well, probably the best way, I'm actually in the process of creating a new website, but the best way to find me is my website, which can either be my name. There's a lot of roads point to my website, but um, titleheartfeeling.com. And title T-I-D-A-L, not T-I-T-L-E. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, yes. But I'm also, Instagram is probably my best way. Social media, I have very mixed feelings about, mm -hmm. but I am on Instagram in a kind of a messy, you'll see pictures of my kids and my cats and all of my work stuff, all my memes that I make and things mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a bit messy, but that's at Jen Dobrella. So, you know, I teach locally. I also have some online courses. I just started my deepening three-month course where you get all of the things. So you get my teachings and you get my healings and you get my meditations. And I'm going to be doing more and more of those, which is really the way to dive deep. Yeah. Do you know Scott Tusa? No. Because you both live in Brooklyn. You're in Brooklyn, right? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I need to introduce you to because he's a former Buddhist monk who decided to become a householder, I think is the term. Yep. And I've just given your your background with Buddhism, I figure you would totally be into him. And also, do you know Miles Neal? Just peripherally. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. So those are my two New York Buddhists that, I, <laughs> awesome. that I'm in love with. So yeah, I'd love to introduce you to Scott because I bet you guys could do some cool shit together. Yeah, totally. I love doing cool shit. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really feel called to share today as we close? For anybody listening, I just, I think you're great. <laughs> keep doing it. Yeah, keep doing it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for being a part of this. It was really, really great. Finally, and I apologize to you before we started that it's been hard to get this together due to all the shit happening in my life, but I'm so glad we did. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jen for being on the show today. 
If you want to find out more information about Jen Doparella, you can find info at our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And thanks as always to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. And thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, bye-bye.